You're listening to another episode of The Zag. One of our favorite all-time fellows is here, Anjali from the 2012 class. She's got some interesting job stuff happening, some other things. Haven't talked to her in a while. Excited to catch up. Thanks for listening. All right, Anjali, are you still living on the west side? Yes, uh, I'm in Santa Monica. I have been for about four years. So you're at ground zero of the bird scooter revolution, rebellion. I don't know what side you want to call it. What's your take on bird scooters? I, it's really good timing. You're actually asking me this. I listened to the city council meeting. Um, I don't know if any of your listeners have listened to that. It's on KCRW and they go upwards to three in the morning, starting around four thirty in the evening. Um, it was a really intense testimony. I personally love riding bird and I hope we can figure out how to use them better, but there's a lot of public safety concerns. Folks are getting hit on the sidewalks kind of regularly. Um, and the company's asking for you know, forgiveness instead of permission. So it's fascinating. But there's other vendors coming into the city in LA all the time. So then do you see birds and scooters like them because they're being ridden, I think, by a pretty diverse population in terms of of class that you might actually see some momentum around the idea that there should be protected bike lanes and protected lanes in general that could handle scooters? Because yeah, folks on the sidewalk are definitely at risk. But you know, this mode is a great first mile, last mile idea. Do you see any momentum happening around that? Yeah. I mean, Santa Monica in particular has a lot of bike lanes, but they can definitely do better. Um, If they expand, LA City has to get better on that, not just for scooters, but for bikes too. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of uh, economic issues that are being served by this. And a lot of folks are not having to have their cars using these tools. Yeah, seems a lot easier. Well, cool. We'll keep an eye on it for sure. And we'll look out for you tooling around on the Santa Monica sidewalks. Make sure you have a helmet on. Yep. Um, listen, give me the latest scoop on the job stuff. I know there's been some news on that front. What's the what's the latest? Yeah. So I have been the Southern California organizer with Ben the Ark for about four and a half years and just got a promotion to be the field organizing manager. So I'll be managing and supporting organizers in California and around the country. Um to build grassroots political power in the Jewish community to push for all sorts of social justice issues. So we're looking for a new SoCal organizer right now. Hmm. So then on a day-to-day basis, what has your job been? Then what do you see it becoming with this new promotion or role? It's mostly been supporting and organizing lay leaders in Los Angeles and surrounding areas to do the work of campaigning around issues like criminal justice reform, immigration, housing, justice, healthcare, those sorts of things. And it will be less, the new role will be less managing and supporting lay leaders and more supporting organizers so that they can build stronger teams of leaders in their respective cities. So did your work change much after the election in 2016? Yeah, didn't everyone's? Um, okay, just checking. <laughs> yeah, our we're not unique in that our list size and donor base grew significantly, and we had people around the country wanting to do a lot more activity. So we're trying to build new infrastructure and systems to support them still, and learning from a lot of mistakes. And then, what kind of trends do you see in how? Folks are organizing around, say, specific issues. I know you mentioned criminal justice reform, for example. So like, do people take a resistance uh, sort of framework to their work they're doing now, or do they see uh, they're, they're working in a different way? What, what's kind of the motivating factor you see the most often? I kind of see some resistance language still being used, but it's actually um, 
hard to just be against things or concepts or people. And so we have to really be for things and make sure we're showing what vision and values we're fighting for. Um, So pushing to be more visionary has been a much better recruitment and organizing tool for us and other folks. Um, And then, you know, we see the, the policies or bills we're working on in Sacramento as modes to get to those big visions, but um, just being against, you know, the awfulness that is our president right now needs to be not the only motivating factor. So then when you're looking at politicians or looking at different campaigns, maybe just looking at the politicians themselves, what attributes right now are most appealing to you in terms of who you'd want to work with or who you'd want to vote for? Um, it's a really interesting question. So definitely more of the visionary stuff that I was saying. So folks are just like, I don't stand with Trump. It's like, great. Well, what do you stand for? So making sure people are articulating that in a really clear way. Um, and thank God in the June primary, none of the Democrats got locked out of the November runoff. So in the places that it looks like Democrats can flip the house, we have opportunities there. Um, so I'm not being like extremely picky about that. <laughs> Even if my favorite candidate didn't win, I think it's going to be better to be able to take back power in all of those places. And then as for someone who's been in California now a while, what's your take on splitting California up into three different states? No. <laughs> create, no. The answer is no. Create, like, uh, or maybe there was a proposal for a six state split, which would create the poorest and the wealthiest country in America. Um, So really trying to increase economic inequality sounds insane. Um, Yeah, I mean, we could potentially do more to make our assembly and Senate more responsive to our democratic processes, because they represent a lot of people and don't necessarily have the staff or capacity to do as as much as they could. But I don't think we should be splitting up the state. I don't know what you think. (laughs) Uh, I'm good with one state. I keep waiting for the ballot initiative that, uh, if people approve, would end ballot initiatives. I feel like that'd be the only one I'd really be most excited about right now. Because, yeah, the onslaught of, of weirdness, I think, will only get worse. Um, and it really is such a, a situation where someone who's weird and rich can bankroll some crazy ideas. I think this is one of those examples. So yeah, we'll stick to one. I don't like change that much. So <laughs> let's keep it as one. Let's keep it as one. Every single election, Californians complain about that challenge. But when you poll on it, it polls really well, like the concept of ballot measures. So it, it's, it sucks. So then is that a matter of wording? Because I guess if somebody put it to me, would you want the uh, power as a voter to uh, impact change in your state? I guess they'd say yes to that. Yeah. But then if you get any more specific or any more nuanced, I feel like the answer would be no. So I'm curious what the, the question language is yeah, on that. Yeah, it's interesting. I just went to a um, uh, workshop from Demos and the California Endowment and ASO. Like they did some polling on like race class narrative in California and around the country. And they, when they pulled on the gas tax, which just got um, a senator recalled in Orange County, um, when you use the words gas tax, it pulls really poorly among all sorts of political identities. But when you talk about just what the policy is, <laughs> people support it if you don't use those words. Yeah. So yes, you're yeah. right. You want, you want your roads repaired? Yeah. Do you want public transit? People- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, listen, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about life on the West Side. I have some questions about that. Thanks for listening to Zag. We'll be right back. All right. One of the other interesting 
realities of being in Santa Monica, I'm sure, is the fights over housing um, and everything from what kind of housing should be around? Should there be any housing? How high should it be? How not dense should it be? So what's your your take on how Santa Monica is a bellwether for what things are like in LA when it comes to housing? Um, it's really interesting. I've been on the housing commission for about two years now in Santa Monica. And um, I'm learning a lot. This is my first post like as a quasi-government role. And mm-hmm. It's actually kind of a misnomer that Santa Monica is just wealthy NIMBYs, you know, single family homeowners that don't have a lot of economic diversity. We've actually built more affordable housing than like most, if not all cities in LA County. Um, I think we have about 2000 units of affordable housing, like deed restricted permanent affordable housing, whether that's permanent supportive housing or housing for more like the working poor or low income folks. So that's something that's not really talked about a lot. (laughs) Um, And our housing commission is actively trying to create more affordable housing for low income, very low income, and slowly thinking about middle income housing. Um, We just proposed a pilot program that the city council approved called Preserving Our Diversity, which is actually kind of like one of the first versions of universal basic income in any municipality. Um, We're basically saying seniors that pay over 50% of their income on housing who've lived in Santa Monica for 10 years, we're going to try to get that down to 30%. Um, And then like they don't get kicked out and those units stay rent controlled because Santa Monica does have rent control laws. Um, so all of that's moving. It's something I'm really excited about. The state just lifted a lot of restrictions on auxiliary dwelling units, they're called, or granny flats or back houses. So we're trying to see how can we incentivize homeowners to either use their existing back houses for affordable housing or build them and make them affordable, which LA County is considering giving people incentives for that. And LA City might get a grant from... Um, Bloomberg philanthropies on that. So all of that's moving forward. And as far as height and density, uh, (laughs) I'm really into things going higher and denser, but um, I might get some pushback from some of our more senior residents of Santa Monica. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting opportunity that could be taken or missed with all the single family homes around the expo line in Santa Monica Mm -hmm. proper. Um, you know, there's definitely been things built, but I think about the Bergamon Station debacle where there was just a bloodbath of of people, I guess on both sides, they would say it's mm-hmm. a bloodbath. Uh, yeah, can you get things denser? Can you get things less parked near the expo line to really give people a, a fair shot of, of being mobile throughout the city? Because the expo line, right by the time the regional connector opens, will give you so many more options easily to get around the whole city. Um, but yeah, if you're a pretty well-to-do single-family homeowner, it's it's not without too much trouble that you can fight and put up a fuss to have anything bigger or larger near you. So mention to see what happens. Right, do you guys ever talk about parking minimums and, and changing that to parking maximums so you can get some of the cars out of the city? Um, so for the auxiliary dwelling units, you we can actually decouple parking from that. So that'll help relieve some stress. Um, and we're th- like, it depends on which project we're talking about for the affordable units or market rate units in the city. Um, decoupling a bit more if it's within a certain amount of public transit, but it's definitely on people's minds. 
Got it. And then last thing, you know, we just wrapped the 2018 NLC yeah. Institute. It finished on the 9th of, of, of June. It was a really cool class. Uh, they got along really well, raised a lot of money, uh, did some great events. We're excited to see them join the alum community. What do you remember about your 2012 experience? Um, the two big highlights for me. So one was just the network of folks because I'm an organizer and like there were maybe two other organizers in there with me, but it was an opportunity to get connected to teachers and lawyers and business folks that I would not have connected to otherwise. And now they are a part of my network and I don't talk to them as much as I'd like to, but when we do need some support, we call on each other. Um, and the second thing is uh, some of the trainers and content are still things that stick with me. I actually don't remember his name, but he was a reporter from Politico. And he taught us a lot about how he tracked uh, information about Mitt Romney and how we can do that in our oh, yeah, yeah really, future yeah. campaigning. And there was the first session about um, life entrepreneurial skills is still work that I'm focused on. And I think it's really important to think about folks that want to be progressive, like making sure they're prioritizing their own personal development on top of the professional development, because we are people with bodies and minds. <laughs> so to support all of that um, was incredibly meaningful. Nice. Listen, thanks for all your contribution over the years. And thanks for your board service and your alum service. And thanks for everyone who's listened to this episode of The Zag, you can find all past episodes, and there's now 75. Wow. Amazing. In the iTunes Store, Google Play Store, just about anywhere you would find podcasts. We'll have more coming soon, next week and beyond. We'll catch you then. Thanks so much. 